continue in our summer in the Psalms, Psalm 45, very close to the middle of your Bibles. And as everybody's getting settled, I want to just take time to thank um, Eric Sanford and Wen Allison for how faithful they were in delivering the Word. And it's one of the things when we're going through the Psalms and the honesty that is there in the Psalms. In, in our evangelical world, sometimes we want everything always to be up, 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 and uplifting, uplifting, uplifting. And we miss sometimes the fact that Christianity is not always like that. We live in a broken world, and this was not the way it was originally intended to be. And so there are going to be times when we are going to be walking through that valley, and we're going to be going through that distress and despondency And I'm glad that the Bible gives us a way to be able to navigate through that. So Eric, as you know, um, Eric is an acquaintance and we've had a chance to talk. And so I'm glad he shared with you some of the things that he was, he's been dealing with over the last last two years, I suppose. One of the things with Eric, just so so you know how church planners um, deal with, and I'm not sure if he talked about this. I I picked it up about two or three minutes in on the sermon. Um, So when, when COVID hit for us, uh, we had about 60 to 70 people move, but we still had enough people to be able to absorb that. Well, Eric had the same thing with his church, except he started with about 80. And so when 60 or 70 moved, he was left with about eight. So just continue to pray for, for Eric as um, God gives him that next step for him. And I'm very thankful also for when, and uh, he had a, a sermon to preach that, you know, sometimes we're walking through this world and we don't feel our father. We have to know that he is there. That's why he gave us his word and his promises. But they've already preached that. I'm going to move on to uh, Psalm 45, which is a wedding psalm. You see there where it's a love song. So uh, would you be so kind? If you're able, if you're able, would you stand as we honor his word together? Psalm 45. And even though those titles don't have a number by them, they're still scripture, so we're going to read those as well. To the choir master... According to Lilies, a mascal of the sons of Korah, a love song. Verse 1. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is Lord, since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. The glory, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with gold, with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she is led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. 
In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will remember your name to be, I will cause your name. I remember how to read, I promise. But evidently vacation has, has hurt that a little bit. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. How about that? The words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, you may be seated. So you look in verse 1 as we see this. This is a very different psalm because some of the psalms, as you know, are, as we talked about a little bit, are praise psalms and thanksgiving psalms, psalms of gratitude. And then there's other psalms that are psalms of lament that are trying to navigate through the hard times of life, trying to figure out how uh, we, can, we can love God and serve God in the midst of the hard times that are going on. And again, there's an honesty about that. Well, Psalm 45 here is very unique in that it is a, it is a love song. It is a wedding song. And you see in verse 1, my heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. So he's very excited to be able, the writer here is very excited to talk about um, the, the topic for, the, for this song. And you have to remember when you're looking through this, where it says to the choir master, well, that's a reminder that these psalms originally were sung. And so, according to lilies, well, what's flowers have to do with it? Well, flowers has to do with the fact that that was the name of the tune that they would sing it by. And so, this love song is a, is a, a wedding song. And even 3,000 years ago, people were excited about weddings. Don't we all love weddings? And hopefully, you loved your own, right? But we all love, we all love weddings. Now, my mom and dad, I, I think I've told you numerous times about uh, the anniversary my parents were will now have celebrated on June 9th. It was 67 years, which is incredible. It's incredible. Beautiful is the word. That is, that is exactly right. Um, well, they didn't have a wedding, a conventional wedding. They eloped. Now, according to my mom, that they had known each other four months. According to my dad, they had known each other five months. Well, who are you going to believe? Right? So if, 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 if my wife and I, we have a discrepancy about the time frame of something, I'm just going to tell you right now, just believe her. She, she knows those things very, 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 very clearly, however. But they didn't, so they eloped. They, they decided they were going to get married. Dad had a job and he found a house. Hey, you want to get married? Well, sure. And so they, they got in the car and they got married. They lived in Ohio. They got married and, uh, and eloped at a justice of a peace in Angola, Indiana. And some of you may have done that. You may have eloped. But there are others of you that may have had like, like a church wedding. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, because it's a reminder of the fact that God is the one that instituted marriage. We don't have the right to redefine that. God defines the terms of what marriage is, no matter what we want to think. But one of the things that you, you, there, when the bride walks in, especially if you're a groom, it's great when you're doing a wedding, when I'm officiating a wedding, and the bride walks in. And the groom is just standing there, mouth agape, just, oh my word, I've never seen you. You know, you always, the brides are always beautiful. And you just give them just a, a little extra beat, a little extra opportunity to soak it in before you start getting on with the vows and the festivities and such. This is a very special one. Now, we don't really know the occasion of why of who this was for and why this was written. We know it was written at a wedding, and we know it was written for a king. We don't know which king. You, every commentary has something different, so really that's not going to ultimately be the point. What we do know is, is there's enough clues in here to talk about the fact is that this king 
is Jesus. And the bride is his church. And you see a little bit of this as, we, as, as this is being described in Ephesians um, 5.31 where it talks about, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Which is quoted from Genesis 2. Early. This was set up early in the Bible, right? And so it's, it's come along now here in Paul. But then it says in verse 32, By the Spirit through Paul, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the earthly marriages that we have, which are all temporary, right? The moment someone dies in that marriage, that is, it's over. That marriage is, is completed. But the marriage that we talk about of Christ and the church is eternal. It goes all the way into eternity. It goes all the way. It never, ever ends. So that's why sometimes I get a little um, disturbed, vexed, if you will, every so often. Whenever I hear people say, I love Jesus. I just don't like the church. Gentlemen, those of you who are married... How would you like it if someone came up to you and said, I love you, you're great, boy, I can't stand your wife. Hopefully, if you're a person of honor, and if you have a good marriage, and you're a person of honor, and you're a person of honor, you will say, you won't use that as an opportunity to joke. We can't do that. What you will say is, you have just jeopardized this relationship. Because God has brought you together. You're still two personalities, but God has brought you together. But that's what goes on. Jesus and the church, we are in Christ. We are together. We are united in Him. Right? We don't just take on certain things about Him and then take it off. We were, when we were in Kentucky, we went to Golden Corral. Have any of you ever experienced Golden Corral? Have any of you ever walked out of Golden Corral thinking, I'm glad I did that? You have to be really, really careful about what you eat at Golden Corral because otherwise it's just all there. And, but, but you go to Golden Corral and hopefully you don't just take everything on. You, you pick. You, you have decisions to make, serious decisions to make. But that's sometimes that's how we approach the Bible as a buffet. Well, I like this and I like this. I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, you take it all or there's parts of it. You, you can't just take parts of it. You can't cherry pick it. So what we're going to talk about this morning is the need for understanding the majesty of the groom, Jesus Christ, and the beauty of the bride, his church. Now the church, we can look at the church, and a case could be made if you're looking at the church this way, is that the church overall is a mess. Pastors are failing all the time. They're leaving their churches with moral failures, financial failures, and sometimes the, the, the people that are sitting in the pews However well-meaning they may be, we don't, they don't always get it right. We don't always get it right. But when you look at what the church is to be and what the church really is, the bride of Christ, it's a beautiful thing to see. So let's look at the majesty of it. and, and Well, the majesty of Christ, rather. We'll look at the beauty of the church in a bit. If you get up here and you, and you see the majesty, now that, that's important for us to see. It, it's mentioned a few times. Well, look at verse 2. You're the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured out upon your lips, therefore God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty. Verse 4, in your majesty, ride out victoriously. So majesty, set up clearly the majesty and the glory of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's there. 
And part of that majesty can't be missed. Now, Jesus has told us that he's our friend. If we are followers of Jesus, John 15 says, I I, I once called you servants, now I call you my friends because I have let you know my father's business, basically. I've let you in on my plan on what I am going to do in working out my plan in the world. I've let you in on it. So there's a friendship, but sometimes we can swing that pendulum so far And sometimes when you may turn on the radio, wherever it may be, a Christian radio station, and sometimes the most popular songs are basically treating Jesus like he's your boyfriend or something. You could just take the name of Jesus out and put Glenn or Molly or whoever in there, and and, and it would still fit. And sometimes we, we, we have to realize that Jesus is holy, holy, holy. He is majestic. He is sitting, it says later on, your throne, O God, is forever. We have to see that. Abraham Kuyper, the, the great philosopher one time, he said that there is, that in, in reference to Jesus, where he says there is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. The issue with some of us sometimes is that we want to take some things for ourselves. And we, we cherry pick again, we, we, but we can't do that. Everything about who we are, about what we say, what we think, how we act. If we are followers of Jesus, I'm talking to the church now, we're followers of Jesus, we no longer have any claim upon ourselves, and that is not a drudgery for us. We say, thank you. We remember how we used to be. We don't want that anymore. Thank you, Lord, for not discarding us and dismissing us. Thank you, Lord, for, for rescuing us. And so we see here is that we can't just say, I love Jesus. Well, his majestic, his, his, in his majesty, and then say, well, um, I don't like his church. But his majesty is look, looked at in a number of ways. Number one is his character. You see, I just read this in verse 2, where it talks about you're the most handsome. Some of your versions may say, if you're looking at your Bibles, checking me out. It, um, where it says, you're the most handsome. Some of your versions may say, the most excellent. Of the sons of men, it says, grace is poured out upon your lips. Now, we also know that his character, that sometimes he is going to say things that are grace upon, your, upon the lips of him toward his people. But then he's also going to talk about how his sword, verse 3, gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one. The arrows, in verse 3, are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. In the New Testament, the sword is referred to as the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And there are times when He speaks, and it's grace to us. He seals us. He brings us to Himself. But then there are other times, like if you read in, in Revelation 19, that sees that when, he, when there's that picture of that sword coming out, He's mowing down the nations that have refused His rule, that have refused His way. And you say, well, that doesn't seem fair. Well, he's the one that made us all. He's the one that sets the terms. And he has been gracious to us. He sent his son to rescue us and to turn our backs on his son. He will not suffer. And so we look at this where he says, again, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. So his word, to use an old King James word, his word can quicken, make alive, but his word can also kill. Please, bow the knee to Jesus now. One day you will. But one day it may be too late. But every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do it on this side of heaven. Do it on this side of the judgment seat. 
And so we also, that's his character and his majesty. We also see that his cause is in place. As you go down in verse 4, in your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth. So when God deals with you, he is all about truth. When he says something from his word, he is, he is all about truth. Anybody in our culture that is trying to get away from what God is saying in his word may believe and may try to convince you that they are for you. They're not. They are against you because they are not dealing with and they are running away from truth. The word tells us what his truth is. Meekness. Now I know there's a word that rhymes with meekness. It's called weakness, right? And sometimes we look at the word meek and we think the meek shall inherit the earth. So that means that we just end up being just these milk toast type of people and we don't want to, we don't want to hurt anybody. We don't want to think, say anything about anybody. And those are the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Please keep in mind, Moses was called at the time the meekest man to ever walk the earth. But I look at Moses, and I don't see a weak person in Moses. I see Moses had to deal with a lot of complaining. He had to deal a lot of trying to lead under the, the, the leadership of God. Yes, but he's leading two million people through the desert. No convenience stores, no hotels, no anything that's there. And he's trying to keep everybody from wanting to go back to where they were. Even if it was a bad place, they knew that place. They didn't know the promised land. So they were, he was constantly, so meekness, when you hear that word meekness, it's strength under control. So some people are strong, they have no control, and so they are tyrannical, they overrun you. Strength under control means he is out there to make sure that the church and his bride and those that are a part of who he is are strong in the faith, that they're not going to back off and compromise, but still stay under control. You can get angry. Sometimes Christians really get angry and they end up taking it out violently. There are pro-lifers that may have called themselves Christians that have blown up abortion clinics. That's not the way to go about it. The weapons of our warfare, the, the scriptures say, are not carnal. They're not the way that the world goes about it. When Martin Luther, when, during the Reformation, when he was standing up against those powers that were oppressing the people, he, they asked him, well, what, what did he want to do? Did he want to take up swords and go and mow everybody down? You know what he did? He said he wrote, he taught, he prayed. He wrote, he taught, he prayed. That may seem like an inappropriate response to some of you. But it's a very appropriate response when it comes to the things of the Lord. We don't act like the world acts. We are, have strength under control. We also see the righteousness that we're about going the right way where it talks about there's a doing what is right, that this one is doing what is right, that he's pursuing what is right because he is right. This is Jesus that we're talking about. And Jesus, when it talks about this in Romans 3, it talks about that Christ is not only the just, right? He is He is. Perfect and fair and holy and just, but he's also the justifier. The justifier of who? Us. Those of us that trust in him, we're not just, we're not right. There's no one righteous, no, not one. But he comes along and justifies us, meaning that he removes the guilt that is on our behalf and puts it upon himself. That's what he did at the cross. We have to remember what a great and majestic Jesus we end up pursuing. But then we see, again, the conquest. And the conquest of those arrows. 
when Jesus shoots those arrows of his word, he never, ever misses. When we were in Trinidad, um, Roddy Taylor, who was the pastor there, and he is an expert marksman, archery. Unbelievable. I mean, he was winning awards down there, coming in first, second in, in, the, in the Caribbean region. I mean, it was just amazing. And so what he decided was to have some fun. I think he was going to have some fun with us. And he's like, I'll show you how to do this. So I'm not sure how many of you have ever um, you know, went bow hunting or what. I, I admire you all. There's a lot of things that have to go with it. So we're, uh, we're all up there getting, and, uh, get, you know, get, getting in position and, no, raise your elbow. No, do this. No, do that. All these little itty-bitties that, things that had to take place just for us to hit the target. Not the bullseye, but just the target itself. There were arrows going everywhere. Then Roddy came up and he just, bah, 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 right in the middle. It was, it was a sight to behold. But it's a reminder. You know, sometimes when I say words, they don't hit their mark. Because it's not only about how I mean them, it's also sometimes about how they're received. And sometimes I don't get it right. Especially with saying as many words as I tend to do on any given week. Sometimes I don't get it right. But I do know that there is one who does. And it amazes me even more that everything that he says is true and, and meek and righteous and hits the mark. And when it says here in uh, oh, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, if you read through Hebrews 1, it's quoted there. And th- this, this couple of verses here in, in uh, 45 verses 6 and 7, that's quoted there. It's a reminder that this Jesus, this groom, is not simply a king. He's not simply a great teacher. He's not simply just a great all-around guy. He's holy God. And how great Moses was, that's what Hebrews is talking about. Jesus is even greater. How great Melchizedek was in the priesthood and all. Jesus is better. The sacrifices, those were great. But the sacrifice that Jesus offered on our behalf, it's greater. Because not only does it cover the sins we commit, it takes care of the sin factory of our hearts. Well, this Jesus is absolutely amazing. But then we get to the bride. And I love what's being, what's being talked about here when it comes to the bride. And again, when we talk about the bride, um, we, we've got to be really careful. And I would, I would even say in meekness, challenge those who say, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Challenge them on, you are talking about his bride. You're talking about his wife. How would you like that? No, none of us are perfect. Praise God, he is. None of us are. But he still loved us enough to rescue us and to bring us to himself and to have that union with him. We've got to be careful. In the New Testament, the, the church is talked about in three different ways. One is that's a body of Christ. And another is the building of Christ, where Christ is the foundation and we're the living stones and the bride when i was teaching a class one time when we were talking about the church and i happened to stack those words you know body building bride sounded like it was someone that was working out right bodybuilding bride that was the way i was able to remember that but we when we look at the bride of christ we look at the fact that when we are in christ we are united with him when it talks about marriage again that we are when we get married, we cleave to that person, right? You shall leave 
your father and mother, and the King James uses the word cleave, which means to join together. You shall leave your father and mother, and you shall cleave to your wife. The two will become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one tear apart. That's what the standard is for marriage. And it's a picture, as I mentioned earlier, of Christ and the church. We are united in him. A long time ago, I preached on Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and there were five ways that we are united in Christ. The, that passage talked about how we are chosen in him. We are adopted in him. We are redeemed in him. We are united in him, and we are sealed in him. We are sealed in the spirit. And so again, we don't go to Golden Corral when it comes to the Bible. We don't do the Golden Corral method. Well, I'll take a little of this and a little of this and a little of this. All that Jesus said, says in his word, we appropriate. We listen to. Why? Because we are in him. We are joined to him. And we move forward with what is being said. We don't just pay, you know, go piecemeal and we certainly don't ignore it. And we certainly don't add to it. We go by what he is talking about. And so that's where we come back again. He, we are cleaving to one another, or we are cleaving to him and also connected to one another. And that's where we get that in verse 10. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear, right? So this is an important deal. Whatever I'm about to say to you, dear, dear bride, listen to this very, very carefully. And it says here, forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty, since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. Now, what's being said here? Again, when you leave your father and mother, that does not mean that you fail to honor them. Because the Bible tells us over and over throughout the life, honor your father and mother. You may have had a hard time with their, your parents growing up. You may have a hard time with your parents now. That does not take away from the thrust of the command that we are to honor our father and mother, even as we may struggle to love them or maybe even like them. You still lean in to that. You honor them. And who knows, in the midst of your honoring, that love might begin to come back. It's amazing when we follow God's design, how so many other good things follow with what he's called us to do. But that's what we have to remember. And what he's saying here is, you know, forget your people. In other words, now you're, you're, as far as you being married, your number one earthly relationship to your spouse. End. That's it. And here, your number one relationship is your allegiance to Christ when it comes to spiritual matters. Well, is it my wife or is it Christ? Well, if you're honoring Christ, then you're going to love your wife. You're going to honor your husband. You're going to have all of those things that are in place. But we also see that there is a, a clothing issue that's here. I know some of you, you're trying to get into your closets this morning, look for your red, white, and blue. And, you know, this is casual, casual. So casual it is. I, I read the memo. And so verse 13, all glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold and many colored robes. She has led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her with joy and gladness. They are led along as they enter the palace of the king. There's a joyfulness and a gladness, but this theme is taken up also in revelation at the very end In revelation 19 Verses 6 to 8, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. 
Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. Now that's the end of the quote, and then we have some understanding from John that for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So we're so worried about our clothing. You know, got to get the, the Jordans, got to get the Gucci, got to get the, the stuff. We, we get so worried about our clothing. We spend so much time in the closets. How are we going to work this out? How are we going to look good? And yet when it comes to our obedience to Christ, we tend to let that fall off. But that's the clothing that matters. That's the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We don't obey because we hope God will love us. We obey because of the love he's already shown us. And, we, and, it, and it comes from that. And that's where, you know, in your, in your marriages, when you love one another and honor one another, you, you do those things not because you hope the other's going to come back. You do those because it's already there. It's already, and you're, you're operating out of that. And I pray that that's the case for you. And when we get to verses 16 and 17, as we transition into the Lord's Supper in just a moment, in the place of your fathers shall be your sons. That's what tends to happen in a lot of marriages is that they reproduce. Children come out of that. Not always, but in some cases, that's the case. And we say, in, in the place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. In other words, so um, in earthly terms, we are reproducing people that bear our name and, and go out into the world. And spiritually, we are making disciples that reproduce the name of Christ that will take them out into the world. And we pass the baton to that generation as they pass the baton and the baton and the baton to where the goal is that all nations... All nations will remember him and honor him and serve him. Um, I was convicted, as um, I'm, I'm prone to be. Um, sometimes I think people, and I, I have conversations with folks that they think, well, you've been, you've been in ministry for 31 years. Well, you must have it all figured out. Well, that's jolly funny. That really is just hysterical. Hysterical. But I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that uh, happened. And since Cindy's not in the room, I, it'll probably be of less embarrassment to her. Um, boy, what's he going to say? Well, here it is. Um, I, I, I joined my mom and dad for church, Pitts Baptist Church, Concord, North Carolina. The pastor had been there, has been there 25 years. I just love going to that church. I love catching up with him. He and I kind of do ministry and think about ministry and preaching along the same lines. And what he was preaching about was, and I won't go into the whole thing because he's already preached. You can go on and listen to it. But it was talking about how the Sadducees were trying to come and trip Jesus up with the subject of marriage. And the pastor said something. And he said, you know, there's not going to be marriage in heaven, which is, is true. Not, not the marriage that we have here. And I found myself getting very, very sad. Now this, is, now, this is God's design. I preach God's design all the time. I try to tell people, heaven is not earth 2.0. You know, it's not going to be like, well, I like playing soccer here, so I get to play soccer in heaven. And sometimes we talk about heaven as if it's going to be 
Earth 2.0 and don't even bring up Jesus in the midst of it. It's going to be about Jesus. Jesus will be sufficient for us in heaven. We'll have other things to do, of course. But And I just remember, and I just remember getting sad. And so when Cindy was driving and I was, I was talking to her about these things, and I said, I got really sad. And she's like, why? I just said, I just can't imagine a place that's heaven and not being married to you. Oh, yeah. All right, but, but that, and, I, and I'm like, I, and I got really convicted by that. And, and thankfully, she came along and she said, yeah, hold on. And she reminded me, as we all need to be reminded, that we're joined to Christ. That's the marriage that lasts. He, what did he do for us? Well, he came, he lived a life that we could not live and did not live, a perfect life. He took off his robes of glory and took on the robes of flesh. All the stuff that he ended up going through, all the stuff that we're about to remember. And what did he do? Instead of saying, you people, if this is how you're going to treat me, you all can just go away, just go jump. No. He went right to the cross even as his disciples were sleeping, even as his disciples were running. He went to the cross on our behalf, took our sin. The just became the justifier. And he rose again on the third day to break the bonds of sin and death and hell and the grave on our behalf. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take these elements. And we should never get sad about how God designed something, which is really the point. Sometimes we look at how God designed something. Oh, I want, to, I want it to stay the way it is here, as, as it is here on earth. And we forget that Jesus is so much better and what he's done for us is so much better. It's, it, there, there's nothing that is better. And so here we are observing the Lord's Supper. I want to read the passage of Scripture and then have a word of prayer as a reminder of the fact that we need to be ones who are confessing our lives to Him. The passage that's found in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. It starts off by saying this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he, was, when he was betrayed took bread and gave thanks. We're going to be singing um, a song in the midst of this to help us to be reminded of all that he has done. But what I want us to do even before we do that is for us to take a minute. Do not approach the Lord's table lightly, cavalierly. He says that's why some of you are sick and some may have died is because we are approaching his, the symbol of his body in an inappropriate manner. So if any of you have any sins to confess or you just need to make sure that your heart is right in line with Christ, take the next minute and use that time to pray and to confess your sins before him. Then we will participate in the Lord's Supper. And you can play. You can play whatever you like to play. Sure.
For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, this belongs to you. Let's sing the second stanza. Was he for crimes that I cup represents the blood of Christ. It says without, with a redemption of His blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so we must be sure that we are remembering what He said to us. In verse 25, in the same way also, He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So if you belong to Christ, then this belongs to you. Let's sing one more. But drops of grief can every pay that dead of love I owe. Dear Lord, I give myself to Thee. Tis all that I can do. At the cross, at the cross, As we sing one more um, for our, one more hymn for our hymn of commitment, some of you, you've seen what Christ has done for you. You've seen His majesty. You beheld the beauty of the bride. And I hope that if there are those of you here who would like to make some sort of commitment, rededication, or you may want to know what it means to be a follower of Jesus and be saved from your sin, I hope that this will be the morning you do that. So why don't we stand as we commit our lives to Christ and sing this next hymn. Like a 